0: In your Bibles, will you go to Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse number 42. Acts 2, 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What a picture. The beautiful picture of a growing, thriving group of believers that are now known as the church. Luke speaks... In this passage of the spontaneity and dedication and practices of that first believing church, he gives us a picture of what worship was like. And he gives us a picture of what their influence in the world was going to be. And it is so powerful. It was the first church. And this model is important for us. You want to talk about a philosophy of ministry or the activities of the church or a statement of purpose, this is it. This is what the church was doing, called by God to do. You remember in verse 41, 3,000 people were saved, baptized, and now they're digging deep into each other. And they were faithful in spite of anything, and they were centered on everything that God wanted to do. They were a gathering of the people who had been redeemed, of those who were saved. And ever since, the church is called by God to gather for worship and for training in holiness and righteousness, that the body of Christ, like here today, would be built up in the faith, a gathering of believers, those who are saved, who always welcomed the unbeliever to come and to be part of what was going on, to hear the word expounded, to hear the prayers, to witness the love that the believers had for each other. You know, if unbelievers come to our assembly, I I can't think of anything that would be more important to them than to see the unity of the love that God's people have for themselves. Jesus was the one who said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. And maybe to reveal the spiritual condition of the unbeliever and to lead them to Jesus. This assembly has always been about the believer and the unbeliever welcomed in the fellowship of God. But I want to be clear about one thing also. To be a member of God's church or to play a role in the life of the church, leadership of the church, is for those who are saved. Just like Robbie said today, partake in communion. Very clear instruction. This is for the redeemed. This is for those who are born again, who through the regenerating life work of the Holy Spirit have transformed hearts and now believe in such a way to identify with Christ in everything he wants done. And in some ways, the church in America today has so confused this that it's a wonder anybody can believe anything at all. We hear about churches who are preparing themselves to be approachable to the unbelieving world. Well, that's okay. And I hear about churches who are seeker-sensitive. Over the last decade or so, that's been the big uh, play we seeker sense of these unbelievers are seeking. What are they seeking? It's not God they're seeking, even when they come here. It's not God they're seeking. This is the truth of the Scripture. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who seek after God. Now let me tell you what they're seeking. They're seeking what you look like. They're seeking what goes on in this church. They're seeking the benefits of what they see in your life, and this is wonderful, and now is the time to bring them into the faith of the Lord, and this is the functioning of the first church. See, the work of the church was devised in the eternal, perfect mind of God long before this world was even ever created. So let's seek the mind of the Lord today in the matter of the church, okay? And see what the Scripture teaches us directly. It's important that the Scripture speak on this topic. Not me as a pastor, not denominational leaders, not ecclesiastical boards. Let the Scripture speak about what the church is called to do. And I'm going to talk to you this morning just briefly about the church's devotion, its experience, and its impact. So let's talk first about the devotion. What does the Scripture teach us that the church should be devoted to? And here we see it in verse 42. I mean, God alone can have the economy of words and such. He can get done in a verse what a church for time and eternity must do. This is amazing. That's why every verse counts. And this is what it says. First, they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the Word of God. There was a devotion to the Scripture. The church has been designed so that when the people come to this place, the Word of God is proclaimed and explained in clarity, in simplicity. The church is devoted to the clear, simple, straightforward teaching of every word of the Word of God. This is why my habit has been over the course of time to preach exposition sermons verse by verse. This was, I found, the way they did it in the first church. It's called the Lectio Continua. Every verse continued upon the next, building upon the next, and believing that every word is chosen by God and important for the church. In pointing out these things, Paul said to Timothy, You will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of faith and the sound doctrine which you have been following. He continued, until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching, 1 Timothy 4.13. And pay close attention to yourselves and your teaching that you persevere in these things, for as you do, this will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Scripture is the church's lifeblood. We cannot live without it. It alone lights our path. It alone puts us in the right direction. It alone is the objective Truth of all the ages. How important is the word to the church? Listen to what it says in Hosea 4.6. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Believers cannot live on truth that is not taught. We cannot live on precepts and principles we are not learning and growing in. Paul said, To Timothy, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead. And by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. These people were devoted to that kind of teaching from the apostles. The next thing we see they were devoted to was the fellowship in verse 42. This is the believers coming together in partnership. You should see yourself today as a partner in the mission and ministry of Pathway Church. Strengthening each other up-building each other, never tearing each other down. A full fellowship of love and grace ought to be what is going on in this church. That's what these early believers were devoted to. Consider, Paul said in Hebrews, how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, But encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day appearing. Devoted to the apostles' teaching, devoted to fellowship, and then devoted to breaking of bread. How interesting is it when we're studying this scripture that today was a day for the Lord's Supper? And this is the meaning of the breaking of the bread together in this passage. The church is to come together to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And what happens in that has been explained here. And uh, I'll just say it again. This is our way of proclaiming the Lord's death until He comes. Of telling the world, we believe this Savior gave His life on Calvary, suffered a cruel death on the cross, shed his blood for the remission of sins, and that by believing in him, we are saved and redeemed forever and ever. This is a time of self-examination for the church. Time for the church to get it together. It's a time for individuals to confess sin. It's a time for the church to confess any sin. It is the thoughtful expression of the unspeakable worth of the cross. Communion, devoted to the breaking of bread. And then finally, devoted to the prayers. Whatever you ask in my name, Jesus said in John 14, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Anything according to the will of God will be done when asked for by the church. Now, we all know people are asking for things that aren't in the will of God. And then they wonder oh, this, this God you pray to, he does not answer prayers. He does not answer selfish prayers. He does not answer prayers that are not part of his sovereign will. He is an omnipotent, powerful God who knows what he wants for his church. When some people wondered why their prayers weren't being answered, the explanation given one day was this. The reason for your prayers not being answered is you ask amiss. You want to spend the goodness of God on your own pleasure. That's not the work of the church. That's not the work. No true believer would want to be, try to be in such a silly relationship with the God and author of all of life. Ludicrous. But when we pray in his name, Lord, your will be done, he answers. We can expect it. So there's the devotion of church. I mean, is there anything confusing about any of that? They're devoted to the Bible. They're devoted to the fellowship. They're devoted to the Lord's Supper. And they're devoted to praying together. A lot of churches make so many other things the issue. God has always made the main thing the plain thing. And the plain thing the main thing. And He did it here again. Let's go to verse 43 and secondly talk about the church's experience. What did it experience? And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through The apostles, awe. When you come to this church, oh, how I pray you would experience awe. A word that really means fear. And in the best sense of the word, we are called to fear God. I mean, who is it we think we're dealing with? Sometimes I hear and watch churches in this kind of cavalier way. They talk about God, talk to God, and I think, oh, dear Lord, where is the reverence for your name today? Everyone kept feeling this sense of awe about being in the actual presence of God and knowing that they had to revere Him the way He expects to be revered. You know, in the... New Testament, I know Jesus from time to time would say a word and and, and say it twice for double meaning so that it really got through. For example, he said, Verily, verily I say to you, or truly, truly I say to you. There's one word in place in the scripture where a word was used three times, and in the Hebrew, this is meant to. Oh, just so get our attention. And it's this word. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the whole earth is full of His glory. The people weren't awed by the plans that they had. I don't think they cared at all about buildings or creating programs or the human ability of those who would be the speakers or the preachers, or they were concerned about other things. And the most important thing it looks to me like they were concerned about was the supernatural character of the life of the church. Does the church reflect his glory? And in that glory, I want to tell you that is how lives are being changed today in churches all over this world where, they, where the people have the awe that is required to be in the presence of the Father. 1 Corinthians 14, 24. This is just an amazing verse. But if all prophesy, and that word means preaching in the New Testament, if all prophesy and an unbeliever or uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all. And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. I don't know what the future, long-term future will be for this church, but it should never be said people are coming here because they like the way so-and-so preaches, or they like the wonderful music, and they're all in on that. People should be coming from the outside inside this church because it has been reported that God is among you. And so there were signs and wonders performed by the apostles. And they were intended to get the attention of the people, and it sure did that. And God gave miracles. And while the apostolic age has changed and the confirmatory gifts have maybe changed, we determine who speaks for God when it's based on this book. And you know it comes from the Word of God and not the heart of a man. But rest assured of this, God is still also in the miracle-working business. And some of you here today need a miracle. And your church needs a miracle. And rest assured, God can do it. And God will do it. I am the Lord your God, it says in the Scripture. Is there anything too hard for me? And don't forget that the greatest of all miracles still is the life change that's produced by the regeneration of faith and the Holy Spirit working upon the heart to bring them to faith in the sacrifice of Christ upon the cross. And then it says in the Scripture they were experienced experiencing this wonderful sharing. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. This is not... An appeal to communal living. That is not what was happening here. This was a, an expression of spiritual unity. This was an expression of taking care of the people. In everyday Jewish life, it would have been so common, this would have been a common thing for them, that when people came into the, to the festivals, into the Jerusalem and so on, the people opened up their homes for the other people, the pilgrims, to come and to stay. There was this incredible sharing. And so that was normative for the Jewish people. And here they were again, sharing with anyone who had any kind of need. Sharing the spiritual benefit of being together as well as material. And it was based on the generosity that God expects the church to be about. What a wonderful thing. And it's so incredible this, what, what this verse also says. It just... I looked at it a couple times and I thought, what, wait, wait a minute, what does that say? It says they were sharing day by day in the temple. What, they were going to the temple? Do you, believe what, do you understand what these people had done? They had turned their back on Judaism. They had believed in Jesus. They had been baptized. They would have been considered outcasts of the faith. And they're showing up to the temple? Why? I think it's because of witness. I think it's because they were so full of the Holy Spirit, nothing scared them. They turned from nothing. And so they were in the temple with one mind and then fellowshipping together in the homes, breaking bread. And this breaking bread is the word for the common meals and sharing together and being together in partnership and being of one mind and fellowshipping and building one another up. It was the original life group. And the church was experiencing awe and signs and wonders and sharing with glad and generous hearts. There was, there was joy. Oh, let the church be full of praise in God and joy together. That kept them together because it brought them together. It was their native breath. And so the scripture teaches us of the church's devotion, the church's experience, and finally, the church's impact. Now this is what it says. They were praising God and having favor with all the people. They were not only getting along inside the church, they were getting along with the others outside the church too. And I'll tell you why. Because they were so winsome and so attractive that the people loved to be around them. I came across this a couple of weeks ago. A letter from a second century philosopher by the name of Aristides who was sending this letter to his king describing what he had experienced with the Christian people. He says, O king, By going about, it looks as though these people have found the truth. For they know and trust in God, the Maker in heaven of heaven and earth. They have received from Him commandments that they seem to have engraved upon their minds, which observe the hope and expectation they have of the world to come. I'll tell you, King, they do not commit adultery, they do not commit immorality, they do not bear false witness, they don't embezzle, they don't covet what is not theirs. They honor their father and mother. If anybody oppresses them, they exhort them and make friends with them and care for them. I've never seen the like. They refuse to worship strange gods and they go their way in all humility and cheerfulness. Falsehood is not found among them. They love one another. They care for those who are a stranger and they bring them into their homes if they find any poverty in their midst they do not and they even they do not have spare food they will spend two or three days without so that the others may have food it is amazing king who they are and what they are like well that kind of people is going to be in favor with everybody and they're going to win people to the lord and this is what it says And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. See, the impact is in favor inside and outside the church, and there is always going to be growth. This is God's intent. This is what God does with his church. Can you think of anything better than belonging to God's church? There is just nothing like it. And I am so grateful to have been the one for the last six or eight weeks to stand in the pulpit here and pronounce God's word to you. I I just have loved this. It's been a, a wonderful highlight in my ministry, really. And with this sermon, I now end my pulpit ministry here at Pathway Church. Going forward, I will serve as a counselor to this church. I sense the leading of the Lord in all of this. I will serve as counselor to the elder board and to the pastors, especially during your senior pastor search and selection process and in helping to further prepare the church for a new era in ministry. Oh, what an, what an honor it has been to study, to preach and teach the Scripture in your presence. Thank you. It has blessed me way more than it blessed you. Beginning next week, members of the pastoral staff will take turns ministering from the pulpit and they will continue in the book of Acts and begin it, chapter 3, verse number 1. This will be very good for the church. Again, thank you for the blessing of having served you.
1: about this this is um, Dr. Hall's not going anywhere. He's staying connected. He he feels as though from the Lord that this is a better way he can help us move forward. And the man has uh, successfully run an institution for 25 years. I think he knows a little bit about leadership. I think he knows a little bit about what it means to uh, move forward through crisis. And through anything, uh, an organization, or in this case, a church, faces. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Hall. Thank you. But we're going to worship right now. If you uh, sensed the Lord's moving in your heart and you want to respond, this morning you can go over here or over here. There are people who can pray with you. But let's just worship the Lord together. And thank him. I cast my
2: mind And drenched in tears They laid him down In Joseph's tomb The entrance sealed By heavy stone Messiah still And all alone Oh, praise the name of the lord our god oh praise his name forevermore white the blazing sun shall pierce the night and i will rise thank you lord among the saints my gaze transfixed on jesus face oh church
1: join the heavenly host sing it out oh church, let's linger this morning, uh, but please come tell Dr. Hall how much you appreciated his pulpit ministry here and how much you look forward to him advising and counseling us moving forward. God bless you. God bless you.